So, yeah, there you go. And I'm going to sit with you. This is going to be nice and cozy. I thought this might be a little bit better. I feel kind of funny, kind of pacing um, when we are a bit of a smaller group. So I'm just going to hang out with you over here. Also, I want to say this before I forget. Um, Allie and I were talking, and since we are the size group we are, if you want, I wonder, whoever would like, maybe we could go out to Mildred's afterwards together as a group um, for lunch. So just know that that's open. Uh, we're not paying for everyone, but I'm just saying. Um, <laughs> but, it, but it is open to go with, with us uh, to Mildred's. Uh, <laughs> Oh, that's right. Uh, oh, man. Well, I think one of my favorite things about Christmas, it's not putting up the Christmas tree. It's not putting up Christmas lights, although I love doing that, or the smell of the cinnamon candle. You know, that first whiff when you know that either your mom or your spouse or you have changed out the candles to be match the Christmas season. I mean, I love that and everything, but I still think my favorite thing, even more than the music, is the Christmas movies, Right? Christmas movies. We've all got our favorite Christmas movies. <laughs> your favorite Christmas movies. You can watch them over and over again each year, and you kind of look forward to it. You kind of guard each year, like, oh, it's not Christmas. I can't watch that. But when Christmas comes, oh, man, woo, that was very powerful amongst us. Um, you can watch them over and over again. Um, I'm just curious. What are some of your favorite Christmas movies? What, what did the, what's the one you said? Charlie Brown. Charlie Brown. What are some of the other favorite Christmas the Santa Claus, Popo Gijo. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah. What else? Oh, ooh. Okay. I don't even think I've seen that one. Okay. Little Drummer Boy, Elf. It's a Wonderful Life. Oh, it is, isn't it? Christmas in Connecticut. Okay. Oh, my sweetie. Um, well, you know, in, in PR, they did this poll recently. I think they do this almost every year where they poll what are the favorite Christmas music movies uh, for the year. And you know which one snagged number one? Love Actually. And, and it's... What's that? I, oh, I was looking at Christmas movies on Netflix, and that was one of the suggestions. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, and what's so interesting um, is that so many movies bring together this Christmas... And this love, you know, bringing the love thing within Christmas, right? You know, interestingly enough, my wife's family has her tradition every year. It's usually 11 p.m. when we're all together, and I'm very sleepy. Uh, They put in a Hallmark Christmas special. (laughs) Look, I I love Hallmark, but these specials are brutal. I mean, it's always some single female, you know, and she's in dire straits, and then she meets some wealthy lawyer... You know, and they happen to they happen to connect somehow, and then there's this dire moment of betrayal. You know, or or where the relationship doesn't look like it's going to make it. Save a Christmas miracle, and then the movie climaxes with them having a wedding on Christmas Day. Right? Oh wow, this is really great. Every year, when I'm with Allie Staley, this is like <laughs> I wasn't going to say it. You know. Um, but really, I mean, when you bring together this love theme with the Christmas holiday, I mean, you could look at almost any one of these movies. You could look at um, It's a Wonderful Life, and you see sacrificial love. You look at Marley and Me, and you see puppy love, you know, around Christmas. You look at the movie Elf, and you see 
Buddy the elf who, who finds not only parental love as he goes to find his father, but also romantic love, right? I mean, everywhere we look in all of these movies, Christmas and the theme of love are intricately connected. But the question I ask, though, is with all these lovey-dovey feelings that are floating in the air, have we really lost the true definition of love? And we have so many different explanations on what love is. And so I want to ask for your help. I want you to help me help you help me um, by shouting out some ideas. What is love? (laughs) What is love? What is love? How would you define it? What are some ideas that come to mind? What is love? Sacrificial. Okay, what else? Caring. Okay, what else? Mm, Unconditional. What else we got? Enduring. What was up there, Sharon? Blind. Blind and enduring sometimes go together. What else? Family. Sometimes we think of family with love, right? Family. What else? Wanting the best. Did somebody say something? Giving. What else? Oh. (laughs) Sometimes it feels like that, doesn't it, Annalise? Man. Um, what else? Any other thoughts? Could be like obsessional. Ooh, that's intense. Obsessional. That's definitely the Hallmark special version. <laughs> yes. Okay. Necessary. Ooh, ooh. Way to bring the heat. Nice. Necessary. Don't check to see whether I spelled that. I always mess that one up. Necessary. Any other thoughts? I'm going to say this one. Sometimes, what is love? Sex? People think that? More than a feeling. Oh, it's more than a feeling. More than a feeling. Mm. Any other thoughts or forever hold your peace? <laughs> okay. Well... We have a lot of things up on this board, and I think love is complex, right? And yet it's simple. I think the reason we've put so many different ideas up there is because it's just straight up difficult to live a loving life, I think. Um, More often than not, the mess we make in our lives has to do with us either being stupid or failing in the love department. Um, we need a definition, quite frankly, that's more robust than our rom-com Christian, or Christmas movies. A little more legit than our Hallmark specials, right? Um, something that's bigger than us, but it's, it's still within reach. It comforts us, but it also challenges us. And what we find in our passage this morning is a shocker, I'm sure for all of you, is that Christmas redefines love. Not these movies, but Christmas itself redefines love. And I know what you're thinking, Gabe, great. We're having this dialogue about love during Christmas time, really original. This is what I fought the snow and the ice and stayed, not going to travel to my parents to hear, but stick with me. 
the groundbreaking reality of Christmas. It takes all these incomplete, all these impossible explanations that we find in every culture. Every culture outside of God never gives a complete explanation of love. And it finds in Christmas this redefinition that's so radical that we could mull over it for the rest of our lives. We could mull over it for all eternity and still find new implications every day for our lives. And it's this reality that's driven the Apostle Paul, or the Apostle John, actually, to write this love letter to a church. First John. I mean, love's all over the place in this little letter, right? This is the same John who wrote the Gospel of John. It's the same John who was best friends with Jesus. It's the same John who took care of Mary after Jesus died and ascended into heaven. John had watched love lived right in front of him for three years. He watched love die on a cross and then raise again three days later. I mean, John's so passionate about love. And those six verses that Sherry read for us this morning, the word agape for love, a stem, is used 15 times in six verses. I think John's trying to tell us a little bit something about love. And so this morning in John's jam-packed passage, he shows us that Christmas redefines love in three ways that we're going to talk about this morning. First, love is self-giving. Some of you have mentioned some of that sacrificial language. Secondly, love is within reach. Some of you feel like it's impossible in your own lives and friendships and family. Thirdly, love is bigger than us. It's bigger than us. It's more than human, but it's divine. Well, during the Christmas season, we're always looking for tangible ways to express to our loved ones that we really care for them, right? So the first thing we see that Christmas redefines love is that Christmas means love is self-giving. Not self-centered, not me-taking, but self-giving. Rather than asking, what are you going to do for me? Love asks, how can I give myself for you? And almost every one of us in here this morning would probably nod our heads. I mean, some of you shouted it out and said, yes, this is love, right? This is what love is. It's sacrificial. It's self-giving. But how many of us really make that a normal part of our relationships? I mean, why do so many marriages end in divorce? Why do so many parents and children fight one another? Why are Christmas get-togethers with our extended family full of more judgment and gossip than love? Because what we really say to one another is, I'll love you as long as I still feel loved by you. We wait for our spouse, we wait for our friends, we wait for our family, our coworkers to make the first move. We're not willing to always take that risky step of being the initial mover and self-giving love. So, this morning we would all say, yeah, love is self-giving, but where do we get this idea anyway? If we all agree with it, but it's really hard to live, where does this definition come from? Is this just something that we as human beings know innately? We've got it hidden within us? Well, this definition, it doesn't just come out of thin air. And John wants us to really get this. Actually, it finds its origin in God and his actions in history. So if you haven't already, grab your Bibles. We're going to be in 1 John chapter 4. And we're going to actually start, I'm going to be reading verses 9 and 10. 1 John chapter 4, verses 9 and 10. And this, the love of God was made manifest, was revealed among us 
that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Here's unadulterated love. I mean, we're looking for it and this is it. God loves us and his actions show us what self-giving looks like in daily living, actually. First, we're going to see love takes the first step, and then it takes the second step, and then it takes the third step. In other words, what we're saying is love pursues. Love pursues. It doesn't mean forcing a relationship, but love pursues. It means risking and honoring rejection, but still pursuing. God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. He sends his son as the first step. When we're chasing after stuff that destroys us, when we were chasing stuff that was destroying us, God was chasing us, we see here in Scripture. He tends to chase the lost causes too, doesn't he? He tends to go after the people who don't love him, the people who hate him, the people who will kill him. Not that we have loved God, John says, but that he loved us and sent his son. God pursues. I mean, think about this. The creator of the universe, who knows our very thought and design 2,000 years ago, became human. He became a baby, helpless. And even while he's learning to walk, he's chasing us. I just love the picture of Jesus Christ, giving up everything that he could be, to be with us. And Christmas shows us a God who pursues us out of love. But real self-giving love, it always takes sin seriously. It takes hurt seriously. Pain seriously. Think about this. this. I was sitting in this passage and I was wrestling through this. and kind of was blown away by the flawless nature and the absolute perfect perspective that God has. Can you imagine looking at the world and not having any hint of pride, any hint of lust, any hint of sin, and then looking at all the brokenness and the brokenness that you and I perpetuate in the world, all the sin that we consciously choose to destroy ourselves, to destroy those who are close to us and destroy the rest of creation? God sees us exactly as we are, exactly, better than we see ourselves. And he confronts us in our sin. I mean, love isn't accepting everything about everyone. It isn't accepting everything about everyone. He, he doesn't come to sweep our failures under the rug. He's not this kind grandpa that you can get everything past him. But he shows them to us for what they really are. He shows us how destructive our sinful actions are to us. He says the hard things. He confronts us in our wrong because he wants the right for us, Right? He knows our design. And he shows us where our life is headed without him and it's death. And he points to the cross. Your sin, your destructive behavior is so bad, so terrible. I sent Jesus to die, my own son, for you. Because you were that bad. Not that we have loved God. Don't get presumptuous thinking that we're good people. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son 
to be the propitiation for our sins. Whose sins? Mine and yours. This is scripture highlighting who we are. This is an identity question. But self-giving love never stops with healthy confrontation. If we stopped there, that wouldn't be the gospel. That would just be legalism, quite frankly. Love takes the initiative to forgive. It takes the initiative to forgive, too. I mean, this might be the hardest step for some of us. It's a tenacious pursuit. Instead of being overbearing, he bore our burden. Instead of proving he was right, he took our wrong upon himself. Instead of pointing his finger and just keeping it focused, he pointed out our sin and then pointed us to the cross. John says he became a propitiation for that very same sin. Now, the big word, propitiation, we talked about this last week, right? You know, don't just use big words that are buzzwords. But this big word is a beautiful word, propitiation. Simply put, hopefully, simply put, (laughs) propitiation is a sacrifice that bears all of God's wrath. This is what this means, all of God's wrath, and turns it into favor. It's what Jesus completed when he died on the cross for us. That's the gospel. If we can't hold to that truth, then we're not holding to the gospel. We're holding to a different kind of God and a different kind of love altogether. This is how terrible those things that we've done. Jesus had to die so that we might be forgiven. And this is how we're offered life because Jesus gave his life. So yeah, self-giving love, it pursues. It takes the first step and the second It moves toward the beloved even when there is confrontation because you care enough to confront. But love always takes the initiative to forgive. This is God for us. This is Christmas. Love is self-giving. So before we slide to that next point, you know, Christmas is a good time for reflection. It's a good time to grab a cup of hot chocolate or a cup of coffee. If you have the luxury of a fireplace, I envy you. But then I also say, uh, what do we do when we're by fireplaces with a cup of coffee? If we're not reading a book, we're thinking about life. Or maybe I'm projecting my own lifestyle upon you. I don't know. But we tend to have a little more time for reflection. And so a question I'd like for us to ask is, what are you giving this year? What are you giving this year? If love is self-giving, what are you giving this year? This isn't meant to bring us into a nervous sweat if you instantly are going to your Christmas list and realizing there's only two days left. You know, an Amazon Prime is maybe still available today. Yeah, Sharon's shaking her fist. (laughs) But with all the time and energy that goes into giving thoughtful gifts, you know, waiting in line, stressing over slow internet speeds as the time is ticking away, um, are we being intentional in giving ourselves? Are we intentional in, in giving ourselves? We can give a lot from our wallets so we have boxes and boxes of presents. But are we intentional in giving ourselves to be fully present with those that we love? Turning off the cell phone, clicking off the computer, at least putting it to sleep. I don't know if anybody really turns off their computer anymore. Um, Turning off the TV and just being together with friends, with family, with church family. Maybe you've been running beside your spouse for so long that you forget what it's like to be together. Maybe... Maybe you've been working so hard to show your parents that you can make it on your own that you haven't communicated to them that you love them and care for them recently. 
Maybe there's someone in your life that you need to give the gift of forgiveness. And sometimes that requires confrontation first to show them how they've hurt you and then communicate and walk through that together. You may feel like they don't deserve it. You actually were hoping Christmas was an escape from that person. (laughs) One week away from them rather than pursuing them to give them the gift of forgiveness. But maybe that's what God's calling you to this week. Love isn't love unless it's self-giving. God defines it. God did it. And here's the thing, God wants us to do it too and to have it. I don't know the details of everyone's life in here. I know the stories of some of you. I know my story pretty well. Um, And some of you may feel like this love is out of reach. Some of you may feel like it's impossible or unbearable. Well, in the gospel and in Christmas, we see that Christmas means love is within reach. Love is within reach. Because of Jesus, we now know how to recognize love versus counterfeit love. And we can love if we've been been embraced by his love. John really hammers this home. Let's go back to verse 7 and 8 here in 1 John 4. Follow along with me. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. You know, I find one of the most refreshing titles of God's people in the Bible is the little word, beloved. You know? It's like God is telling us, love is in and from me. Be loved by me. Be loved, beloved. It's just like this command right there to embrace God's love in our very name. Be loved, beloved. I love the quote from Henri Nguyen. If, you ever, if you've ever got to read any of his stuff, it's, he's got some really great books and a, a very thoughtful theologian. And he writes, Being the beloved constitutes the core truth of our existence. It seems kind of pithy, but it's very deep. It's the core truth of who we are. I mean, the ones who need to be loved are loved in Jesus. You are loved. Regardless of anything you've ever done, you are loved by God. He's always taken the first step. (laughs) In the same way that romantic love transforms people when they fall into it, God's love, when it captures our hearts, it transforms our relationships. It can't help it when we've really embraced God's love. I mean, one of the clearest indicators, according to John, of a person who's encountered Jesus is love. If this one thing is absent, if you do not give yourself away in love, then you don't know the first thing about God, not in any meaningful way. And that's love, as we said, defined in Scripture, revealed through Jesus, a love that pursues, confronts, but also forgives. John says, because God is love. I mean, this is one of the most explicit statements about God's character connected with love in all of Scripture. It's also one of the most misinterpreted passages in all of Scripture. I love what Eugene Peterson says when he's talking about this passage. He says, Jesus provides the full and true understanding of God. Jesus shows us the mature working out of love. In Jesus, God and love are linked accurately, intricately, and indissolubly. I can never say that word. But there are always people around who don't want to be pinned down to the God Jesus reveals, to the love Jesus reveals. 
They want to make up their own idea of God, make up their own style of love. You see, God's love isn't an abstraction, but it's personal. It isn't merely emotional, but it's been shown in history in Jesus Christ. It's not a social construct, but it's, it's explained in Jesus. Look at the end of verse 8 and again the beginning of verse 9. God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. God's love, Jesus, we might live only in Jesus. It's centered in the person of Christ. This isn't Allah. It isn't Buddha. It isn't Krishna. It's Jesus who defines God's love as God's only son who's gone to the cross for us. A love that is self-giving. Yes, it is enlightening, secondarily, but first it is self-giving. And no other religion does God love humanity enough to die for her and then call all of his followers to do the same. I mean, such a radical God brings a radical kind of love to our lives. It has to if we've really embraced it, if we let him love us. So don't just ask this Christmas while you're sitting by the fireplace drinking your coffee or hot chocolate. Please don't tell me you drink decaf. Let's just not talk about that. That'll take confrontation. But ask, what have you been given? What have you been given? I mean, this kind of love, it's been placed within your reach if you accept it. For most of us who've received his love, it's so easy to forget. It's so easy to forget. We remember our work pressures more than we do his sacrifice. We, we bring to mind our bills more than we do his grace. We dwell on others, how they've hurt us rather than how God was hurt for us. I want you to imagine you're drowning in debt. Maybe some of you don't need to imagine that. But imagine you're drowning in debt and the verge of bankruptcy and a great aunt you didn't even know existed passes away. She leaves you this ungodly sum of money. I mean, it's just giddy, you know, what you can do now in life. And so you sit down with your lawyer. You didn't even know you had a lawyer. And he begins to walk through the documentation and says, in the next couple of days, this large sum of money is going to funnel into your account. Then you go back to life as usual. Your debts remain unpaid. Your bills still lie on the counter. You sit anxiously wondering where the money is going to come from. And every time you happen to go out to eat, you never tip more than 12% because you're anxious that you're not going to have enough for the next day. Doesn't that sound ridiculous? Isn't that absolutely ridiculous? You've got all the money in the world in the bank. And yet... Ooh, bless you. <laughs> and, um, and you live your life as though you're completely bankrupt. Completely bankrupt. We do this. We forget that God loved the world so much that he gave his only son to show us the ugliness of our sin, but the great riches of his love. It's, like, it's love like this that changes our questions from how can I love that person? How can I not love that person? If God loves me this much, despite my own destructive lifestyle, my own darkness of my own sin, how can I not show the same love to others? It's because loved people love people, right? Loved people love people. 
But the opposite's also true. Rejected people naturally reject people. Which is why John's words can be so sobering. If, if you're withholding love from those around you, chances are good you've never accepted it in the first place. Or you're learning to accept it. So what have you been given? What have you been given? You know, Jesus, he tells the parable of a servant, right? There's this great king and he owns this, he owes this just insurmountable debt to the king. And he goes into the king and the king says, I, I'm, I have every right to throw you into debtor's prison. But he doesn't. He forgives this large debt to this servant. And then as soon as he's leaving the palace, he finds a servant who owes him a fraction of what he owed the king after he had experienced so much grace and forgiveness. And then he goes out and he puts that, his servant in prison in response. He's, he remains completely unchanged from the forgiveness that he received from the king. And what happens? Jesus tells the story very soberingly. He takes that same servant that he had forgiven and he throws him in debtor's prison until his debt is paid. He had no understanding of the grace he'd received. He had no understanding of the complete forgiveness he had had. He'd lived as though he still was in bankruptcy. And it destroyed his life. Christmas means love is self-giving. And it is within reach if we accept it. But let's, we can't sell Christmas short either. Because it means more than we could have ever imagined. Love is bigger than us, right? So let's look at verse 11 together. Verse 11. Beloved, there's that word again. If God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected, perfected in us. When John says, we need to clarify this real quick. When, God, or when John says that, that no one's ever seen God, he's talking about God the Father. Throughout this letter and also throughout his gospel, over and over again, he'll say what? Jesus is in fact God. He's recording the testimony of Thomas when he sees the resurrected Lord. And what does he say? My Lord and my God. There's no doubt in all of John's writings that John affirms that Jesus Christ is very God of very God. But what he's talking about is God the Father. Over and over, we see throughout the Old Testament that no one can see God and live, right? There's something totally other and different about who God is, his character, his nature, his very being. No one has ever seen the full radiance of God in all his nature. We've seen Jesus, the God-man, but never God the Father. I mean, it would be mind-blowing, wouldn't it? Literally, your brain would produce so much dopamine at the presence of seeing God's pure light that your body, you would probably go into utter shock and then you would die right there. Just absolute brilliance. But wouldn't it be amazing to see ah, the immortal God, light of light? Well, John tells us we can get a glimpse of him. In the same way we see the wind when it rustles against the trees and the leaves, we see God abiding in us in his presence when we love one another. It's like Victor Hugo says, you know, in Les Mis, another Christmas release last year. To love another person is to see the face of God. There's a lot of depth there. A lot of brilliance. You want to know what the outrageous radiance of a totally different God looks like? Look to the cross of Jesus. If you want to see it today, love one another. 
love one another. So another question we ask, we're asking a lot of questions by the fireplace this morning. But one last question to be asking yourself as you go about the Christmas season is, what are you watching for? What are you watching for? Not just what are you given and what have you been given, but what, you are, you, what, what, have you, what are you watching for? Are you loving others to feel better about yourself? Are you loving others to receive love from others? Are you loving others to see God in your very midst? Are you shutting God out of your life by rejecting forgiveness? Are you inviting him to be involved and present in your relationships by forgiving even your enemies? I mean, can you imagine if, if we loved others expecting God to show up? If really his love was a sign of his presence among us? We actually expected him to, to work in our lives when we gave ourselves away, that we knew it was bigger than us, even in that very moment, that God is doing something, that God is present. If we believed that, that God's actually, his, or Jesus' statement, that those who lose their life will actually find it. What are you watching for? You know, with a, with a smaller group here, I think some of you know, not all of you, but tomorrow marks two years. Um, two years, actually, from when I found God to be his most silent and actually his most radiant. I just couldn't see it at the time. Two years ago tomorrow, um, I held my son Judah, who died in childbirth. And I remember just shouting out to God, saying, why, what are you doing? And he brought brothers in Christ to come and weep with me and pray with me in the hospital. I remember asking God to bring nourishment, you know, to my soul when I felt so dry. And a local church, our church brought meals, put them in the freezer so we didn't have to cook. I remember asking God to, to pick up all the pieces of this catastrophe in our lives. And then he sent sisters in Christ to come and clean our loft, our apartment. And you know what's funny is my neighbors probably saw it before I did. My neighbor, our neighbors who weren't believers began asking questions. They saw a love they'd never seen before. A community who when the going got tough, they actually just got tougher. And they hung in there. They were committed. They were self-giving. And they began to ask questions. I mean, Allie would have tea with some of our neighbors saying, what is this? I've never seen a church do this before. What's going on? What is this love? And they began asking questions. And I couldn't see it then because I didn't want to see it. I wanted God to show up in some miraculous way and to surprise me, you know, with his glorious presence. But he was there the whole time working through his liaison, the church, his hands and feet, his presence. I didn't understand this passage that God's abiding presence is made known and perfected when we love one another. I wasn't really expecting God to show up. Not in the way he promises he will. My prayer for us this morning um, is that we encounter God this Christmas. We're not expecting the presence as usual, rubbing shoulders with family and friends, but to encounter God. This is what he's promised in his word. God's love is within reach And when we embrace it and accept it and look for him, 
and empowers us to give ourselves away without fear. Loved people love people because it's not based on their response. We've received the overabundance of God's love that empowers us, that overflows and fuels us to love people even when they reject us. Christmas redefines love. Will you let real love redefine your Christmas? Let's pray together. Our Father, it's so great to be called the Beloved. Our very name, the very title, (laughs) just screams of your care and your compassion for us. And so many people, so many movies try to define love as all these romantic movements. And not that that's bad, but the greatest love that even fuels romantic love. That fuels us and able to have good romance rather than destructive romance. Is your love displayed in Christ on the cross for our sin. And then calling us to imitate the cross-shaped life with one another. Help us, God. Ah, May we see you in it. it. May it not just be something we do out of duty, although there are times where we don't feel like it and we do respond that way. May we see you. May this be a journey of love where we are getting to experience the God we love, the one true God, displayed in Christ, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. May we embrace your love and see you afresh. We pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen.